Welcome to the MXGP Podcast Show on Vital MX. Your hosts, Lewis Phillips and Adam Wheeler, will discuss all things MXGP. Woke up with a bend in the brain, stretching out with a cup of coffee. My muscles ache from days ago. Yawning stretch up towards the sky, zoning out while making breakfast. Just feeding straight into a dull oblivion. The best years couldn't put a dent in mine. Hello and welcome to a very special Friday night MXON podcast show. That's the name we're going for for this little mini-series. A, what is the phrase, but a, a spin-off of the MXGP podcast show. But, despite it being a spin-off, we still have the same sponsors. So before we get into day one at Erne in France, I would of course like to thank FXR. FXR, designed by racers for racers. With industry-leading fit, finish, and performance, progression is the name of the game with every new piece created. At FXR, they push their brand to the next level to provide you with the best product possible. FXR is built to conquer. And thank you to Polisport. Do you remember all of the crashes and falls that you have had and the levers that you destroyed because of that? Well, that's no longer a problem. Polisport released the Pivot Unbreakable Levers, a lever set that never breaks, hence the word unbreakable. If you fall, they can be bent back to their original shape, easy as that. Incredible, right? Now that you know your levers won't break again, you may sit back, relax, and enjoy this podcast, but not quite, because we have one more to go through. Thank you to 24MX, new to this podcast as of last week. Very excited. Um, all of the written features about the nations on Vital MX. You'll notice that they have been presented by 24MX. So they are a major part of this little spin-off series. 24MX is Europe's largest online retailer for everything motocross and enduro. You can find everything from boots, MX kits, bike parts and cool accessories. On this point, have you guys heard of Raven? Worn by Alvin Usland, who rides for JWR Honda Racing in MXGP and is on Team Sweden this weekend, so he'll be using his Raven gear at Erne. The Raven brand was founded in 2014. It produces quality products that you can kit yourself out in from head to toe. They have a large selection of colours. Check out the latest 2023 collection that you can purchase only at 24MX. Visit 24MX.com today and look at all of the daily deals that run throughout the year. 24MX is, of course, Europe's biggest um, online retailer for gear, bike parts, accessories, cool stuff. And Raven is their in-house brand, so hence that little read there. Thank you to for money. Yes, I believe that is the aim of the game. Lewis, it feels very much like the polysport readout should be like dialogue. It seems like I should be saying something and you should be saying something back, almost like a little role play. Yeah, it does it, seem like that, but I should probably warn you of that beforehand because otherwise I'm going to just throw it to you and you may not throw it back. I have a very small piece of skill for acting or the you know a thespian side. So if I do have to read some lines and just show me, I can do it, no problem. But also... 
Isn't that a bit lengthy for a mini show? I mean, surely we can do one in the start, one in the middle, and then we can close of one, and then yeah, people will again, not be looking for the 15-second button. I don't know how quickly we're... I don't know how long we're going to be here for. So if we're only here for 15 minutes, then right. that's like putting one in the middle and one at the end. That's basically the entire show. I don't want to complain of the commercial needs of uh, our production because it's essential for survival. So I will... Uh, bow to your superior judgment in this matter. I don't know if you've realised but I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I'm literally just here surviving. Jet lag is not great. It's you just had two cans of Coca-Cola while with your pizza. Yeah, that doesn't affect me. I don't know why people say that energy drinks and caffeine affects their lives. Well, because it's a sugar quota as well, usually. Well, I can drink five energy drinks and feel no different to when I started. I, I know. You were a <laughs> cornerstone of the uh, you know the monster product in MHGP for many years. So, um, yeah, jet lag has hit. And I've got newfound respect for Team USA every year because it's much easier going from Europe to America than it is America to Europe. I have a question. Do we think that RJ Hampshire uses polysport levers? Well... There are a lot of people who believe that he may need them this weekend. <laughs> um, I like to be a little more positive and think that he will be just fine. After tomorrow, because we're recording this on Friday evening in our hotel in Laval, a, a town a 30-minute drive away from the circuit of RNA, we'll have to examine uh, how the current match is going. So RNA, hard-packed terrain, potentially one, RJ Hampshire, nil on the uh, the unbreakable levers count. I think he'll be fine. I right. really do think he'll be fine. My my big opinion which goes against the grain is that the pressure of the occasion will cause him to rise above his typical mistakes. Can I say today apart from like Aaron Plessinger's absurdly americana image uh, which is all is his, his thing, you know, fair play. I thought the presentation of Team USA in the press conference and generally was extremely humble. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of made me want to root for those guys, you know. I thought, you know, that many, it's very easy to throw some sort of B team, C team, whatever tag at this trio. But I just thought there was a class about them today. And I think you had to respect the fact that Roger DeCosta said in the press conference that when he called, all three immediately committed uh, and they, there was no hesitation in going, which we know wasn't the case for some rider asked to represent Team USA. So... I thought, fair play, much respect, because the weather has been stunning uh, NA today, and it's apparently going to stay consistent all weekend, uh, touch wood. And I think if we had a wet, cold, extremely rutty NA, then it would have spat the Americans out big time. And now I think the playing field has leveled slightly with the condition that we saw the train and the track in today. So... Um, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about Team USA's chances, although I still think your exposition on the Pulp Show was maybe a little over the top because I would not really have them still as a podium contender. Speaking of being humble, um, look at you throwing us straight into conversation before I've had a chance to say hello, Adam Wheeler from OnTrackOffRoad.com. <laughs> um, I don't know who we are. Yeah, but I feel like I owe you a plug every time. All right, thank you very much. Hello, Adam Wheeler. Yes, sorry, Hello. I went off on one. Maybe it's just to do with the hour and your jet lag. I um, No, I think this is a nice Team USA. I think yeah. they are embracing the opportunity. They are embracing the fans. They are giving them the, giving them the time of day. Um, it's a nice Team USA. It's easy to root for them. I'm not to say that there's been unlikable Team USAs in the past. I can't think of one off the top of my head. 
Well, there's been teams of like this veneer of arrogance or superiority, which, you know, deservedly so. If you're a rider like Ryan Villapodo, Ryan Dungey and his pomp, uh, you know, some other riders who come over and to be uh, to be fair, the, the adoration of the European fans could help create that kind of mysticism and aura around them. I feel like there's less entourage than normal. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think, but that's been a trend in recent editions. I but believe. I feel like this is an additional crash from previous years. But there was still a hell of a lot of people in ONA today, and I don't mean just fans. There was a lot of industry ex riders, uh, familiar faces. Um, I just saw today. I just saw enthusiasm and money. I mean, the amount of kind of ticket costs, prices, or whatever else. Uh, the event is a success, and there, you know, an engine hasn't been started. Speaking of um, money in the paddock, how about the the uh, infrastructure that certain brands have brought along? Um, FXR being one of them. There are a lot of impressive stands and hospitality suites that, walking through the paddock for the first time, I felt like I was in a new era of motocross because the nations always has a special turnout in that respect, but this felt. Like everyone, Erne is the pinnacle of Motocross of Nations venues, as I said last week, despite you disagreeing with me. <laughs> and I feel like the brands and industry have recognized that and come out swinging. Uh, big setup by Oakley. Fair play to them. Uh, Alpine Stars have the hospitality they usually bring to MotoGP. So that's a statement in itself. And I think you're completely right. There's even some inventive kind of setups. I mean, Athena as well, doing some sort of kind of like photo booth. And um, it feels quite super crossy to me. Um, I still disagree with you. I think One is too small now for this uh, an event of this size, especially post-pandemic, how um, everybody seems to be getting back into the swing of sport events and they're seizing live sport as uh, sort of vividly as they did before. Uh, I, you know, I mean, One does seem almost like 60% full today on Friday. It's absurd. I do wonder, you know, the ticket sales pre-event and everything else, people rocking up maybe making profit of the decent weather is there going to be any space no we're all going to be gasping for air um and all social boundaries will be crossed (laughs) as we are all rubbing shoulders together but that's the beauty of this race isn't it i'll tell you what though it's a bit depressing not to bum everyone out like it's great and everything i did find myself quite depressed today because why can't every motocross race be like this like why can't so um team gb comes out and to pick a middle-of-the-road team, Team GB come out and the British fans go crazy. Roll out Ben Watson at the French GP, silence. Why can't we have this every week? Why do people only care when the country is on the line? Same riders, same tracks, same promoter. It's effectively a GP with a twist. Yeah, you get it with the home riders. I mean, if we're at the French Grand Prix here, then they're all going bananas for Roman Febvre and for Maxime Renault. And it's just 76 years of history and that whole jingoistic flag-waving thing. I think tribalism, if we're talking about general society, is just as sort of feverin as it's ever been. Um, you know, if you just look at other sports as well, I, I think, uh, I mean, just, oh, let's not get into politics, but... You know, you, it's a great question, but I think the nations always has that special ingredient, and you know, the, I think it's just the whole collectiveness of it. It's not individual riders. Whereas you could be the most passionate French motocross fan ever, so you'll be there with your smoke bombs, your chainsaw, and your flags cheering on Team France. But then, when you come to the French GP, you might detest Roman Febvre. You might think he's an idiot, and you're not going to cheer for him. 
yes, fair, but still, I feel like it's such a jump. Okay, you would naturally expect this race to be an improvement from the atmosphere um, point of view, but I feel like it is a massive, significant jump where if you say, okay, say that I'm a team or I'm uh, in front and I bring a new sponsor to this race, they would be insanely impressed. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, we want us, we want one more look before we sign this six-figure deal. Then you take them to the same, to the MXGP of Ernay next year, the same track, the same weather, and they would be like, what? There's no way this is the same thing. I don't know. I, I mean, if you're going to take anyone or a new potential sponsor to any Grand Prix, it has to be like the French. Or, you know, lately, maybe the German or the British GP, if you've got a British rider going in, it's full. Because that kind of atmosphere is still there. But, I mean, it doesn't look as big and amplified and on steroids as it does at the Nations. Okay, maybe I'm being too depressing. But it did, like, it crosses my mind every year with the Nations, even with clicks. And look at us making an effort to do a Friday night podcast. Why don't, why don't we do this at a GP? Like, what, what is it about this race that makes us all go, well, I, like, the fans go, I'm going to try harder. And we go, we're going to try harder. Okay, I've got your answer. Right, very succinctly. In a... In a GP, there's 19 or 20 of them in a sort of an eight-month period. Nations is once a year. That's fair. What do you think about the people? There's, a, there's suddenly a lot of fan demand for the Nations to be held every two years, every four years. I think mainly from American fans who think that would help keep Team USA with a pep in their step. Well, a pet peeve of mine, right, is that people say this is the Olympics of motocross. And it is no way. Is it? The Olympics is a... A collective, I don't know how many sports they have in the Olympics now, but it's just countries fighting over a range of track and field and whatever else. You know, I mean, they do BMX at the Olympics now and have done for years. The, this event is more like the World Cup, FIFA World Cup. You know, it's one sport. The FIFA World Cup is yeah. football and you have different countries going at it. So the Olympics thing gets on my tits a little bit. It's just very inaccurate. But everyone always uses it for some reason. And I... I I don't know. I just think that when people sort of come together and you have that that sort of competitive spirit over one a one day event, it, it creates something quite different. And I've completely forgot what I wanted to say now. What was your original question? I honestly point? don't know. I'm jet lagged. <laughs> don't rely on me. <laughs> no, but there, there's a reason. I mean, yeah, I can't. Oh, yes, right. The other thing is FIFA World Cup analogy, Ryder Cup as well. There was definitely a point where it was Team USA versus whatever else the rest of the world has to offer in terms of riders. You know, I can remember going to these events thinking, okay, we're going to see Villapodo, we're going to see Dungey, we're going to see Carmichael um, go up against our world champions. At Bud's Creek, it was like, what's Tommy Searle going to do? Uh, what's Tony Cairoli going to do? And, you know, I think in golf, you have that similar thing. You have the rest of the world or you have Europe versus the American team. And the Ryder Cup, I think, is every two years. FIFA World Cup is every four years. Uh, this is a major, major cash cow for in-front motor racing, of course, the FIM. And uh, I think you know, if they did it every two or four years, then I, d I don't think there's, there's, there's passion for this and there's hunger for it, but not enough to sustain it over a four-year period. Yeah, I think it would lose momentum because... Well, how many careers would end? You'd have a rider be able to do maybe one motocross of nations or two. Maximum. Well, yeah, look, it's, it runs every year and Jeffrey has been at four like, so if it was spanned every two, three, four years, Jeffrey would never show up, which but would be sad. One thing I do agree with, they should move it to the US. If the US is still a 
What permanently? No, no, no. Oh. Every two years, like there should be. Like, I think they wanted to do that. Two to three year cycles. It's always should be in the United States. But then, if you have um, a very limited choice of venues, then you're always going to be stuck. And why should the nations, as as good as Red Bite is, why should the nations go there every three years? Um, speaking of this being a cash cow, I got told today by someone who is fairly well connected that they've sold sixty thousand tickets, and that's before walk-ins and on the day people. Well, VIP tickets cost what fifteen hundred euros, and yep. there's going to be several hundred of those all sold as well. It's it's big business. Yeah, this is this is like I think this is going to be the biggest motocross race ever. We all look at twenty fifteen and two thousand and five as um, a poster child for this event, but I think this is going to dwarf those, which it's is crazy to think. It's going to be full, that's for sure. I just hope. I mean, 2005, there were riots in the campsite. It was, there was a quite a bit of disorder around the event. And I'd hope that we don't get to that kind of level. Because when you try to squeeze so many people into one place, there's obvious repercussions there. I would have loved, speaking of 2005, I would have loved if nine-year-old Lewis, who was at this race, had run up to Adam Wheeler and said, Hi, Adam. In... In... 17 years the event's going to be back here and we're going to be doing a podcast together because I feel like that would have been just quite a cool thing I probably would have patted you on the head said what the hell is a podcast <laughs> and then uh, yeah yeah, sent you on your way That's, yeah funny to think um, who did you speak to today that uh, any conversations that stood out any vibes that jump off the page um, goodness well, I mean it was an hour and a half of press conferences um, going through all the different teams um, full credit against Paul Malin, who does a fantastic job in gathering all the information for the, the amount of time the riders uh, have represented their country. Um, you know, just little news bits here and there, like Liam Everts finally is riding the 350 SXF, like we knew. And we were trying to work out when was the last time that bike was used at a higher level. I mean, I was saying Kevin Strywell's at one point, but that was, as we discussed, 2012. And that was well before Cairoli added world titles in 13, 14 and he was on the course for doing another one fifteen, but then he switched to four fifteen and also yeah. broke his arm. So, yeah, I, I can't can't think of another last time the three fifty was used. I'm honestly surprised that KTM can produce a factory three fifty engine, but then maybe it's not because they don't have. Yeah, I wouldn't say it is. I mean, Everett says he's been riding it for four days and he loves it because he's got a very low RPM kind of style and he's a lot of torque. So he must just be over the moon with what is essentially a 250, but with a lot more grunt. Uh, it remains to be seen whether he can, A, start on it, and B, remain competitive with it. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it's uh, that's a bit of a novelty that we haven't seen very often. Um, I would also, I mean, Team Switzerland, I was feeling pretty more buoyant about their chances after today. I mean, Valentin goes representing the country for the 12th time. Cold and hot, sorry, um, Jeremy Sewer and also... On Otonus, this is their 11th time. I mean, that is the most experienced team in the field, and that has to count for something. Did you see their jackets? No, but they all came to the press conference dressed fully in riding gear, so they must have done a team photo or they would just been uber professional. Um, tomorrow, before we record Saturday's version of this podcast, please keep an eye out for the Team Switzerland team jacket. Is it terrible? It's a travesty, to be <laughs> honest. Um, it's honestly the worst piece of clothing I've ever seen in my life. So. Just, you're sitting here talking to me in a white hoodie. Yeah. Are you 16? What's wrong Are with you? Are you still that nine-year-old that well, wanted to do a podcast? This isn't, a, this isn't an attack that I didn't see coming. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to continue now. Very, um, 
I'm now in a bit of a reflective mood. Um, from my side, um, Hunter said that he's fine. I know that we knew that, but there's been a lot of questions about his state, his back. Um, I asked him, but he did seem to like palm that question off. Really? Yeah, it's in the press conference. So how is your back? And is it a sort of a thing that could reoccur? And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. I was thinking, is it? To me, he, well, he laughed when I asked him. I was like, no, it's fine. I kind of was like, like, I don't know why people are making such a big deal out of it. Maxime Renault also says he's very healthy. Yeah, well, actually, that's a good point because I meant to listen to that part of the press conference. So Renault was like, basically, yep. shut up. Yeah, Renault's good. And also, we did have questions over the whole vibe around Team France, of course, because they are the favourites. And, you know, the last time they raced here at this event in Ona, they wiped the floor of everybody, pretty much. And um, Gautier Paulin, for the first time as team manager, said they had been gathered together since Monday evening and they had ridden together twice. So you'd think, you know, Roman Febvre and Maxime Renault, if they detest each other that much, they're actually being on pretty good behaviour, for what we know. I mean, there could have been a major fallout, for all we know, but otherwise they seem quite unified. Or maybe they go to the same restaurant but sit on different tables. <laughs> if they're quite unified, then Yamaha are probably like where was this Maxime a month ago when we wanted to sign Roman? Yes, but then I guess um, their dealings with Team France don't involve zeros on contracts. Um, That's true. I think they can put it aside for one weekend. Um, also, Roxon was very chatty and in a very good mood. He yeah. was... I don't know if... I, I would presume that it's a bit of a... Um, it's a bit of a... Uh, refresher to be in the GP paddock again, seeing people like Rasmus and Tonus, who he's really good friends with. And yeah, I was honestly very surprised by how chatty he was. And it immediately made me think, well, two things. It One made me think he's in a great mood. He's going to be amazing. But also he kept saying he has done so much talking that I was <laughs> like, oh, I wonder if we're going to get to Sunday and he's going to say, yeah, I did two days of just talking and catching up. And it burnt me out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he seems to be stopped every five meters, you know, by somebody who wants to sort of say something. And that was evident even just in the media center. It was hard for him to escape. He said, you know, that he doesn't see himself as a motocross specialist anymore. Um, he said he was enjoying the fact that he was back in Europe racing a Suzuki, so that the nostalgia factor was high. Uh, and also he pointed out very correctly that, um, you know, Germany have a strong team, as you've been saying um, in the preview and the build-up to this event. And uh, Simon Lagenfelder said, you know, it was uh, nice to actually have the best German rider ever as part of Team Germany again, because Roxon also wiped out 2018 at Redbud by saying he was injured. It wasn't his best race. That means, you know, it has been 10 years since he really last performed. And by just to reverse the situation of your claim, that means that Dean Ferris should also therefore be as competitive as Ken Roxon. Of course, we all think that Dean Ferris is as good as Ken Roxon. <laughs> um, Competitive. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. What was I going to say? Something about... Ken Roxon talking. Roxon. So what today confirmed to me is that Roxon... This is the Ken Roxon motocross of nations. All eyes were on him. Everywhere he moved, people followed. He is the superstar of this nations and so much more than Jet and Hunter even he is this nations the part of the reason why this nations is so successful is going to be because of Ken Roxon yeah and the European link I think really helps there um, even though the Lawrence brothers of course started out in Europe um, I, I think Roxon resonates I can remember somebody quite high up at Fox 
Europe management telling me that um, when they were putting advertising campaigns together, all anyone was ever interested in was Roxon. I mean, he buried any other rider or any other athlete they had in their roster. So it's, uh, you know, that's just an example of how, you know, how highly he's regarded, how well he's followed. Um, but talking about the Lawrence's for a moment, um, Michael Byrne, you know, the team manager for Australia, uh, also pointing out that the Australians are in a unique position this year because all three of their riders are champions. And that's uh, something that hasn't popped up really before. Do we know if he read that in Lewis Phillips's article on Tuesday? Because I was quite proud of that little stat. Really? That Australia are the only team this year who are entering with three current champions. You and him must think alike. Honestly, I don't know Michael Byrne, but I, if he's stolen this from me and not given me credit, I'm going to... He will rue the day. Well, he just walked past us, actually. Did he really? Hotel, yeah, with his wife and child. So, well, uh, let's yeah. go grab him. <laughs> um, we can do like... What's that TV show? Billy on the Street or something. And chase him down. Um, no, I think, he, I think he's stolen that from me. But there must be another team that had a champ- three champions. Three current it. champions. Yeah. Because it, effectively, for that to happen, you have to have all three of your riders competing in different series. Because, for instance, Team USA... Okay, that doesn't work because Craig didn't even race. Um, Team France, Renault and Fevre, only one of them could be an XGP champion. Yes. So it has to be Someone a very unique situation. Based somewhere else. Or like, you know, Christophe Charlier, where he's a world champion in enduro. Yes. Honestly, uh, I'm pissed. <laughs> Honestly, I'm absolutely fuming right now because... It's quite possible that the manager of Team Australia realised he had three champions as well when he was selecting them. Yeah, it's no, it's but just like, possible. But what's the point in me writing an article... Yeah, well, like I say, great minds think alike, so I think you should take credit and solace from that fact. We are, as you informed me over dinner today, Josh Coppins is here. Yes. And we're at a very hilly track. Does this mean you're going to go and, you know, try and cathartically expel some of that emotion from 2007? What happens if I meet him for the first time? Like, what do I say? You've never spoken to Josh No, before. I can't. Oh, I'm going to have to engineer What do I say? Like, hey... How's the shoulder? <laughs> but this is the thing. I would, I would 100% immediately bring up Lockett and he would then be very sad. <laughs> nah, I think he's used to it. I think he's put it, put it past him. Oh, what a, so, um, oh, yeah, Josh Coppins is here. What a great day. What a great day. He was obviously a part of 2005's very strong New Zealand team. Uh, I believe they finished fourth. Townley was a standout of that nation's. Yeah. America Tell me, made likes, that. Tell me likes her, eh? Yes, you think? <laughs> Just a little bit. America made the 2005 Nations, but New Zealand really put a cherry on that edition of the event, I feel. Yeah, I'm trying to think of Townley's record because it, it either sucks badly or it's really good at the Nations. Because I'm thinking in Bud's Creek, he crashed on Saturday, didn't even race. And then in Lirop 2004, his KTM blew up where he was MX2 world champion. So that obviously sunk arguably Team New Zealand's best chance to I get cried. like a great. Oh, you cried. He there pushed his bike off next. Like he pushed his bike off past me. I cried. Well, then in here in 2005, he was racing Ricky Carmichael, announced himself as a major sort of 450 talent. And then 10 years later, of course, from obscurity to earning a factory Suzuki contract on the basis of performing extremely well again. 2006, he was a part of third place New Zealand team. In Matadi Basin. I can't remember how he did individually, but obviously quite well. Wasn't it? I think, is it Ryan Villapoto said he was still a bit pissed off at that Nations because 
Cairoli won a moto yes. on a 250, which everyone yeah. thought well, that was amazing. But then he had took the overall class win. So he was like, why is everyone bigging up Cairoli when I was the one who like, you know, won it? Yeah, to be honest, I remember Crowley winning the, MX, the MX2 Open Moto, but I could not tell you who won the MX2 Open. last time an M250 won a moto? No, it was 2007, the following year, for the Poto. Oh, of course. Yeah, won one. But yeah, so that, that used to happen quite frequently. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Lagenfelder could do it this weekend. <laughs> oh, no, no, gracious. honestly. <laughs> honestly, great starter. So he could hold shot because... Is he going to pass Ben Watson on the last corner? Oh, no, because that would not be allowed. <laughs> um, he's a great starter. He'll get the inside gate. It's a tight track. I don't know what to tell you. It see, in my head, it seems logical. Right, I'm changing subject. Um, we talked about the good things about Erne today. Uh, brilliantly blue sky, amazing, very hot. And the presentation ceremony seems to go on forever as well. Yeah, we need to teams. stop. Um, not everyone gets a medal. Not everyone gets a ride yes. in the truck. Um, so what did, um, what did you, what, what frustrated you about today? What didn't you like? Well, let me give you one that frustrated me and one that will frustrate someone else tomorrow. So first of all, the someone else point. In all of my previews and the podcasts leading up to this, there's one point that I never mentioned that I should have. Jet struggled at the first SMX round and his constant complaint was, I need space to move around. Give me room and I'll make it happen. This is the narrowest of narrow. No chance here. I feel like that could be his downfall. And to be honest with you, I mentioned that when I interviewed him and there was an immediate like groan. So, (laughs) um, You actually got an interview. That was impressive. Well, awkward. I interviewed Hunter and Jet at the same time. Right. But that doesn't work, does it? Because how do you because how do you do a deep dive when you've got them both there? Well you can just say, Hunter, great to see you healthy, you've had a great season, I'm just gonna to talk to your brother now for ten minutes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's not send this to Lucas Myrtle because <laughs> you will be clipped. No, I'm um, only I'm only kidding. But yeah, you're, no, you're completely right. Just looking at Erne again today reinforce the fact that there's gonna be hardly any lines. So therefore starts. Start, start, starts. And it is possible to get it is possible to get a start from the outside here because Ben Watson whole shot an EMX 250 moto from the outside gate. Yeah, but also that ridiculous kind of jump up into turn two, you know, that yeah. sort of sharp left down here. You're going to see a lot of crashes there. I believe Crowley crashed there in 2005. Yeah, he broke his wrist. In 2005? Yeah, I think he broke his wrist in that one. It was on that little... Yeah, yeah, it was on that section. Um, what frustrates me is it's really nice of Yamaha to allow us to have the Motocross of Nations on the same weekend as their event. <laughs> because that's what this feels like. Because you walk in the paddock, blue skies, starry-eyed, great vibes, and you see a massive tent, and you're like, oh, Team USA? Team France? No, no. A bunch of Yamaha kids that no one gives a fuck about. <laughs> like, I don't care. Honestly, Yamaha, you can... S- uh, no. I love you, Yamaha. But, let's talk for a second. You can stick your 65s, 85s and 125s up your ass this weekend. But I don't care. Like, earlier on at dinner, we were talking to someone from Team USA. What time are you getting to the track tomorrow? And they went, well, the 65s are out at eight, uh, 8.30. I'm sorry, I don't care. That's irrelevant. <laughs> like, how, what, that does not even, like, just, this is for nations. Just leave us alone. We don't need wall-to-wall... 
action. It's not even action. It's a bunch of blue bikes. It's a pro- it's a procession. They could have done it today, to be fair. Or like next weekend, or like maybe in November. Like we don't care. But uh, my counterpoint to that is: isn't it good that there's a brand pushing very and being very proactive about motocross, being proactive to get the next generation on a racetrack such as this, whether it's suitable or not is another question. Um, you know, shouldn't that kind of initiative be applauded? And also, for the kids, it must be, you know, amazing. I mean, this is the equivalent of going to sort of Wembley Stadium and playing football for, you know, on that kind of pitch and in that arena. I guess everyone gets to have a go. Hey, I can't well, wait to... They've qualified, haven't they? Haven't they? Is this some sort of cup thing where they have to be particularly fast to reach this stage? They have to be particularly fast, but also ride a Yamaha. So, like, it's immediately quite... Yeah. Like, that means a lot of particularly fast kids are withdrawn. I don't think it was as bad as the Honda 150 series, where Honda decided to create a motorcycle that, you know, nobody else was doing, and therefore they could only have their own one-make championship because there was nobody else that could compete in that rule discipline. You know what I'm going to do? When I have a kid, when, if, <laughs> um, I'm going to say, like, oh, you know what would be a big dream is if you could grow up to represent Team Great Britain. Or maybe Team USA, who knows, at the Motocross of Nations. And then I'm going to go, hold on, Jimmy. That's unrealistic. Let's just buy you a 65 Yamaha. Immediately, your chances of racing the Nations have gone up astronomically. And we'll just do that instead. And then you can realise the lifelong dream of racing the Nations at eight years old. Isn't Jimmy a bit of an old-fashioned name? Trevor, then. I don't know what... (laughs) 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 Gareth. He's again, what's going on? Okay, little Keith. (laughs) (laughs) You just picked the most five 1980s names at all. How about Herbert? Um, I like the name Ben. (laughs) Ben Chase Jeremy. Oh, wow. (laughs) No, no, but it's just like you I have just a point. Want, I just want I just want the nations to be protected at all costs, and it cheapens the event because. Okay, Mister Apple, welcome to motocross. This is amazing. Look how amazing this is. Oh yes, Lewis, I see. It's very amazing. What are these kids? Couldn't tell you. What well, there must be. You said this is the Olympics of motocross, so this must be something. No, not really. They're just here. Listen, when if you do have you a, think when you if you have a kid. Make sure they stay in school. They should not be doing any professional sport until they're legally able to leave school. So 16, 17. I mean, Joel Smets proved it's possible. I mean, one of the greatest riders ever from Belgium, and he was racing for the first time at 19. So there you go. Answer me this. They should be in school. At the World Cup finale, final. Yes. In half time, Mm -hmm. do they just roll out little kids? Uh, no, they they have kids. They have mascots. They, yes, know. shaking hands and kissing things. Yeah, and they kick the ball yeah. around on the pitch. Okay, in half time they don't go. Hey, everyone, here is the. Well, it has to be a minority, doesn't it? Because effectively the YZ sixty five is a minority. Hey, everyone, here. How do I? Hmm. <laughs> this seems like I could get myself in trouble. Hey, everyone, <laughs> here's insert minority here. The best eight year olds from this town in insert random country here that's got issues um they're playing now right okay not gonna happen is it no no thank you can i, can I change subject yes um are you looking forward to tomorrow because this is the tomorrow's the qualifying heats which you know they obviously matter only so much but it's also the time when we get 
the MSGP guys racing the MSGP guys. We get the MX2 guys racing the MX2. In a way, it's almost like a little bit of bragging rights, isn't it? This is a chance for Simon to rule on the 250 to beat Arno Tonus. You know, this is a time for Jorge Prado to say, I'm the top dog on a 450. Yes. I, the thing I dislike about Saturday is the free practices are 40 minutes each because yeah, they yeah, only get one session. That drags. Yeah. That is like, you, you, get, you arrive at the track, chainsaws are going, anticipation is high, and then you have eight hours to wait until the <laughs> gates drop. But wait, no, no, because there's an 85 race. So actually, <laughs> thank God. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but um, no, the qualifying races should be really good. The MXGP class is incredible. And actually... Kind of big news from today. Prado moved to MXGP for reasons that yeah. he didn't make quite very clear. No, there was no real explanation. He said, um, well, first of all, when I interviewed him, I said, why are you in open? And he said, I'm not. So I immediately felt stupid. <laughs> um, but I don't think anyone ever like released that information. He said that when Braceras got injured, he thought they were making, obviously, they were re-entering the team with a new rider. And he was like, oh, well, I'll just move to MXGP then. But that's just, that's not relevant. That's completely, that's like me going, oh, Lewis, why did you buy a cheese sandwich for lunch? Well, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, and I thought, oh, buy a cheese sandwich for lunch. Like, those two things, like, those just, they don't not, go together. Not much connection. No, exactly. So, but either way, he's MXGP, and that will add to the stacked MXGP class. Some people do believe the moon is made of cheese. Well, look at that. Well, there you go. There's a, that's got more connection than Prado <laughs> moving to MXGP because Braceras got injured. Well, let's finish this pod by naming our, predicting our three winners. Okay, tomorrow. good. That's what I wanted to do because we'll, we can track this and come back to it tomorrow. Um, you, go f- wait, you go first for MXGP. Well, considering the change, oh. um, I'm still... I'm going to go with Prado still, even though my, I was tempted to go for Roma Febra. I think the start... Actually, because the track's not going to be super, super rough for the qualifying. Well, I don't know, because those 65s are going to just hammer it. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it depends on... You know what? Tomorrow is going to be terrible because the track's going to be water to fuck. So it's going to be really slick and and not not very nice at all. So that's going to be one of the defining factors of free practice. Uh, I'll stay stay with Prado, okay? Because he's the best starter in the world. Uh, MX2, I'm going to go for... um, Adamo, because mm. we haven't talked about him at all. Incorrect, but okay. Right, okay. And then in open, I will say uh, Lawrence. Lawrence is open, right? No. No, no he's MH2. He's MH2. Yeah, so it's, it's Ferris for Australia. Uh, Maxime Renault, why not? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I will go Fevra, MXGP. Lagenvelder, oh, MX2. And... Renault open, therefore France take pole because one one scores and they would drop a third from Vial. So okay, um, Vial as well. Oof, I missed that one. Yeah, MX MXGP and MX two should be really good. Vial is gonna gonna be really good at. Everyone at KTM who I spoke to today said he is so happy and relaxed to yeah. be back in the comfortable surroundings. I think he's going to fly. I mean, if we if there is a bizarro chance of a 250 taking a win again, I'd say it's him. You know, even though I just predicted Adamo to win the qualifying race. But uh, I just, you know, if we see anything like the Vial that we saw in 2022, um, you know, the last three seasons, then um, he's going to be Prado-esque on the start and disappear. One final note to end on. 
um, speaking of the open class, so for the Netherlands, Vlander in his MXGP and Koldenhoff is open. That was Koldenhoff's choice solely because when he's won his motos, he has been the open rider. Okay. So it's a mental... Uh, both Vlanderin and Koldenhoff both said to me, because me and Koldenhoff are on talking terms, um, said it's a mental thing. For That's whatever reason, he, whenever he's at MXGP, it doesn't work. And when he's open, it works. So it's, all it is is mental. Superstition. Yeah. Okay. And something about, he reckons, the short break helps him, but no, it doesn't. It's mental. Well, to quote Alberto Ferrato from today, it's a weird race. So it wouldn't be at the nations about some kind of um, elixir of, I don't know, supernatural potentially involved. Um, speaking of Alberto Ferrato, the big man, MXGP are having a tough time with their PR side. Just, they sent out an email saying, are you ready to watch for Hunter Brothers? Really? Yes. Oh, goodness. Sign up to MXGP TV. The Hunter Brothers are here. <laughs> like, I can't remember what the exact context was, but they called the Lawrence Brothers the Hunter Brothers. They also spelled motocross wrong on Instagram earlier. Oh. Um, okay. And there was another thing as well, but we haven't got time for that because there's many things to dive into there. Thank you to um, FXR, Polysport, and 24MEX for their support of this podcast. Thank you to you people for listening. We will be back at the same time tomorrow to discuss actual bikes on track. Uh, the qualification heats will be run tomorrow. Team USA starts sixth, and the others are also starting in positions. Team um, Great Britain are almost last. 36th, just ahead of Canada, 37th. Spain were 17th. France were 24th, 21st? Yeah, mid-pack. Yeah. A lot of the top teams are in the 20s, for whatever reason. So we'll be back to break all of that down, uh, see how our predictions worked, and make new predictions. So we will see you in 24 hours exactly. Thanks for listening. <laughs>